Very recently, I had a conversation with a prominent therapist here in town who is also a, a friend of mine. And he made the comment to me that most people seem to come to his office on Saturday evening before Easter. Now, he didn't mean that literally, but metaphorically, symbolically, because life is full of Saturdays. The worst has happened. Plans have changed. What we thought would be true no longer is true. The marriage is over. The affair has been revealed. The suicide really took place. The cancer is back. The child is in rehab. The job has been lost. Bankruptcy has been filed. The addiction is worse than we thought. The friend has betrayed us. The fetus has lost its heartbeat. Yes, life does not seem to work out the way that we always wanted to or planned for it to, which leaves us hopeless and lost and confused and angry and resentful and overwhelmed. Freud once said that pain comes to us in life from three different directions. First, he said, from the natural world with its earthquakes and floods and tornadoes and hurricanes. Secondly, from our bodies, which decline over time. But the third force is perhaps the most difficult, and that is the pain that comes to us that we inflict upon each other. It's the disappointment that happens when those that we love the most hurt us and hurt us the deepest. The disciples were in despair following Jesus' crucifixion. The one that they had loved, the one they had trusted, the one that they had believed in had been executed in the most brutal and public of ways. It seemed like it was over. The movement that had given them great hope and meaning had come crashing down. Jesus was dead. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Matthew tells us in his account that after the Sabbath, early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb and something amazing happened. There was an earthquake. An angel appeared to them, rolled back the stone and caused everybody, the, the women, the guards, everybody there to be afraid. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. And the women left the tomb quickly with fear and joy to tell the disciples. Friends, Easter is a game changer. Easter is what it's all about. The resurrection is God's eternal yes to the world's temporal no's. The resurrection is the power of God's love to take the absolute worst that people can do and not let it be the final word. Easter is the world's greatest history lesson of how God's love turns despair into joy and defeat into victory and death into new life. Christ is risen. He's risen 
indeed. But every year, I do realize that some of you may not buy it. I mean, you're intelligent, you're educated, you're logical, you might even have a few graduate degrees. But the idea that a first century rabbi who was arrested, crucified, and buried could be raised again is a hard one to wrap your heads around. I I get it. I'd like for somebody to explain it to me as well. But then that wouldn't be faith, would it? Something happened on Easter, something supernatural, something that we can't explain, something that we can only accept through faith. Now, I'm going to be presumptuous this morning, if that's okay. And I'm going to assume that you fall into one of three different groups today. The first group I'm going to call the obligated group. You've come to church today, maybe because you were forced to. After all, it'd be weird to get dressed up for Easter brunch if you hadn't been to church, right? Maybe your spouse guilted you into coming. Maybe you wanted to set a good example for your children. Maybe you even thought to yourself, if I can't go to church on Easter, am I really a Christian? And if you happen to fall into that group, I'm glad you're here. The second group I'm going to call the loyal group. You're a Christian. You know you're not perfect. If you're like me, you probably have some issues with organized religion. The church does have its share of baggage. You see some inconsistencies with what Christians say they believe versus how they actually live and treat others. But deep in your heart, you know that the good of the faith outweighs the baggage. And so you're here today. You're ready to celebrate Easter. The third group is where I want us all to be or to get. This group I'm going to call the group that is ready for life change. We know the Easter story. We know it has a powerful message. We believe that life goes on beyond the grave, even though we can't prove it or fully understand it. We believe it because of what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And those who live and believe in me will never die. But what we are desperately searching for today is what the Easter message means for us right now. April 1st, 2018. We want to be changed. We want to be transformed. We're tired of just living the same old way. And we want that change to happen now, not just someday in the future, but now, not just when we die, but now. That's the question that I want to answer this morning. What does Easter mean for us right now? Paul writes these powerful words in 2 Corinthians that Donovan read, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. I am a big fan of New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. I think he's brilliant, thoughtful, and cutting edge. And this past week, I've been reading portions of his book that came out a few years ago called The Day the Revolution Began. And in that book, he passionately makes the case that the day Jesus was crucified and then resurrected changed the course of history forever. It started a revolution. Some people just aren't aware of it. 
Some Christians just aren't aware of it. Wright says this, Jesus' followers are to go out into the world. That's us. Jesus' followers are to go out into the world, equipped with the power of his own spirit to announce that a new reality has come to birth and that its name is forgiveness and that it is to be had by turning away from idolatry through repentance. He says, believing in Jesus' resurrection is hard, not just because we don't understand what a new sort of bodily existence looks like, that's true, but because we are asked to grasp or be grasped by the fact that a new reality, a new mode of existence has been introduced to the world, a new way of being has been launched, a way that starts with forgiveness. And yes, this begins with God's forgiveness of those of us who have turned to all sorts of idols, and there are many, and continues with Jesus calling us to forgive those who have done us wrong. It's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who sin, trespass against us. So N.T. Wright, whether we realize it or not, is making a profound proposal about the cross and about Easter. There is a new way for us to live as followers of the resurrected Christ. And it's not just limited to Sundays. Resurrection and forgiveness belong together. Both are the direct result of the victory won on the cross. Resurrection is the result of death's defeat. Forgiveness is the result of sin's defeat. Those who truly learn to forgive discover that they are not only offering healing to others, they are also receiving it themselves. Resurrection is happening inside of them. The wrong done to them is not permitted to twist their lives out of shape. Forgiveness isn't weakness. It was and is great strength. So this Easter, we have this opportunity to live differently. And it can start right now. We can all be a part of that third group that is ready for life change, transformed, renewed, not the same as when we walked in. I don't know if you were happy with your life when you walked into church this morning, but chances are there are some things about your life that you would like to change, that you would like to do differently. And the resurrection of Christ gives us permission to do that. Now, what does this new way of living look like? What does it mean to know the risen Christ? What does it mean to be changed by the resurrection? I'll leave you with five brief thoughts, and you can think about those at brunch and beyond. First, it's marked by unconditional love for God and others through the power of forgiveness. So much of the pain that we suffer in life is the result of our inability to forgive which then keeps us from being able to love. As Jesus said, do to others as you would have them do to you. He said, how dare you seek forgiveness in your own life if you're not willing to forgive other people? It's the only way we can clean the slate. It's the only way we can start anew. It's the only way we can heal relationships and move into the future with a clear conscience. And yes, forgiveness must be an ongoing process. It's not just once and for all. Paul tells us what love looks like. He says, you want to know what love looks like? Love is patient and love is kind 
And love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love, Paul says, never ends. And love requires forgiveness. Second, this new way of living is marked by facing our fears. You know, we spent this entire Lenten season at Woodmont talking about the many fears that we have and the anxieties that we have and the things that keep us up at night that we wrestle with, how fear controls people, how it ruins our quality of life and it keeps us on edge. First John says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. As long as we have fear in our lives, we still have room to love because those two things are the opposite. Think about the Easter accounts in each of the synoptic gospels. Matthew says that the angel said, do not be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has been raised. In Mark's gospel, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Luke's account, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. That's a good question for us to ask ourselves. If we want to be transformed by Easter, we can't live our lives in fear. If we want to experience peace, we can't live our lives in fear. We can't get up every day wondering what bad thing is about to happen, wondering what's going to go wrong, wondering who's going to screw us over next or stab us in the back. And yes, Easter helps us overcome one of our greatest fears, which is the fear of death. Death has been defeated. Where, O death, is thy sting? Third, this new way of living is marked by humility. In a world that is full of arrogance and self-centeredness, narcissism and self-promotion, humility is essential. Jesus was humble and being humble does not mean being weak. It means that we keep our pride in check. It means that we don't let our pride get in the way of doing the right thing. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, once said, Pride is like a cancer, and it leads to so many of our problems. Humility is important. Fourth, this new way of living is marked by genuine compassion. Compassion for those who are struggling, compassion for those who are lost, Compassion for those who need food and shelter and clothing and the basic necessities of life. And you know what makes compassion difficult? Judgment. You simply can't show compassion when you're busy judging. You can't show compassion for those in poverty if you're busy judging why they're there to begin with. You can't show compassion for somebody going through a divorce if you're busy judging what happened to get them to that place. You can't show compassion for those who have made big mistakes in life if you're busy judging what they did. The two simply don't go well together. And as human beings, we'll always wonder why things are the way they are. And why do people do the things that they do? Most of the time, it's out of selfishness. We may not understand. We may have strong feelings about things, but that gets in the way of compassionate living. Judgment is dangerous. And finally this morning, the fifth mark of this new way of living is a commitment to healing. Here's what I know, without a doubt. Everybody has pain. 
Everybody has brokenness. Everybody has things in their life that they wish were different or better. So we're all in need of healing. Jesus spent his entire life in ministry healing, and he wants us to be healed. And if the church, which is Christ's body, isn't about hope and healing, then why are we here? What are we doing? My wife is a physician. We both consider ourselves to be in the healing business just a little bit differently. And the first rule of medical ethics, doctors, you know this, do no harm. And yet we live in a world where there is a lot of harm done, much of it in the name of religion. People are broken. They are hurting. They are lost. Addiction is simply a manifestation of that reality. It's a form of escape. So healing is essential. Healing is what we need. Healing marks this new way of life. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything, everything has become new. So the question is this Easter, are you up for this new way of living? Because the invitation is there for the taking. Amen.